to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Thessalonians chapter 4, last time we were together last week, we talked about how uh, Paul was talking to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, just by way of recap, you remember we, uh, looking at the book of First Thessalonians, Paul is encouraging this church to take heed to the people that have kind of snuck in and, and have, have uh, begun to... Uh, teach some things that were not biblically accurate. Uh, one of the things that uh, we talked about last week that Paul was addressing here was that the Epicur- Epicureans had actually uh, entered into the fellowship. And the Epicureans believed, their philosophy was, basically in our modern day terminology would be, if it feels good, do it. Even if it's sinful, if it makes your flesh feel good, go ahead and do it because by doing so, you're actually living according to what God intended for you to live because God intends for you to have pleasure. And and that's not necessarily true nor accurate. Does God want you to have joy? Of course. Does God want you to, to, to experience fullness? Absolutely. But... The means by which to attain that would not be of a sinful nature, would not be something that would be apart from the accurate parsing of the word of God. And that's what began to creep into this church there in Thessalonica as well as uh, into Laodicea. Uh, we've talked about it, how uh, maybe the church latched on to some of this for a little while, but eventually they discarded what Paul said because we know that in the book of Revelation chapter uh, 3, we see that you know Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea, which is actually what this uh, book was written to, the Thessalonians and the Laodiceans. And we see that the Laodiceans did not heed the warning and heed the instruction and the counsel of, of Paul uh, to walk away and discard what this blasphemous uh, teaching began to come into the church. And so that's what he was talking about last week. He's going, guys, come on. You know, here's the thing. Will of God for your life is sanctification. It's the the becoming more and more like Christ on a day-by-day basis. You abstain from sexual immorality. You know how how to possess your own vessel, verse 4. In sanctification, honor, not in passion, lust, like the Gentiles who who don't know God. And, and don't let these Epicureans, is what he's really addressing, don't let anyone, especially these Epicureans, take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. And so God's going to hold them accountable as he will hold anyone accountable that would cause anyone to stumble. And so it's in this that Paul is saying, hey guys, listen, just because these guys are coming in and they they actually say things and they use words like God 
They were use words like scripture. They use words like, you know, God intended you. And, and if they can't back it up in scripture, you and I, we have got the same warning to us. All we have to do is flip on a channel and we can see that there are various pastors behind pulpits that are, and I use that, that phrase very lightly, that are teaching you something that's anti-biblical. It's something that is diametrically opposed to God's intention. And it's all about you. And it's all about your feelings. And it's all about your best life now. That's the Epicurean mindset. That's the Epicurean mindset. But it appeals to our flesh. The largest church in America, they're in Houston. Joel Olstein, he appeals to the flesh. But he denies... The gospel, the true gospel, the ultimate gospel, the whole of the gospel. And and I don't want to talk about the negativity of the gospel. Wait a minute. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in all of Scripture. He would not be welcome to teach at the pulpit of that church because he talked negativity. And so if Jesus can't talk in your pulpit, neither should you listen to the pulpit. <laughs> You shouldn't listen to a place that Jesus wouldn't teach. You know, we we sometimes will hear, well, you know, God is a God of love. He would never send anyone to hell. That's a, that's a, what do they call that? That's a passive aggressive statement. That's, that's a, that's, that is a, a manner on, on which they lay blame on God should anyone go to hell. Because in their mind, anybody going to hell, God had the power to stop it. But they don't understand the whole of the scripture. God is holy and God is just. Sin does not enter into heaven. There is a gift that God gave to us. We celebrate it right now. We're in this season right now where we celebrate the birth of a child. But know that the baby in the manger will become a savior on a cross. The baby was born to die. And, and we look at this time and, and it is a wonderful time. It's a magical time. It's wonderful. Christmas, I love Christmas. But if we lose sight of just the cooing of the baby and we think, oh, how precious. And we lose sight of the reason why that babe was born. Why Jesus was born. He was born to grow and to be brutalized and hung on a cross for you and I. It's not a message that will come out of a lot. That pulpit may be in Houston. Here's the thing. Don't listen to a pulpit that doesn't teach the whole gospel. Well, how will you know if it's teaching the whole gospel? The only way for you to really know is for you to know the the scripture. It's in that that I implore you. Pastor Kevin implores you. We implore you every single time we get up here. Get into the word. Don't just take our word for it. Go and seek it out yourself. See if what it is that we're saying is true. If not, then discard what we say. Confront us. Talk to us about it. Give us an opportunity to defend what it is that we've said, but 
don't be afraid to come and confront us. Because as Kevin will say and I will say, we're not up here for us. We're up here for you. We're up here for Christ. We're up here to represent him and to speak his word. At least that's what our intention is. Do we always do it perfect? No. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But they're never intentional mistakes. They're never intentional intentional uh, uh, mistakes or or uh, leadings or teachings that aren't in accordance to Scripture. And when we do, and know this, when we see that maybe what we have said could have been received wrongly, we will stop. We'll talk to you and we'll let you know, hey, stop. I've been known before to stop people from going out the door. Hey, it's been brought to my attention that someone heard me say such and such, such and such. I didn't mean it that way. What I meant was this. And and it gave me an opportunity to clarify so that nobody walked out thinking that I was teaching heresy. Because the heart is, I want to teach truth. I, I, that's what I want to do. And, and so that's what Paul is trying to do with the church of Thessalonica as well as the church of Laodicea. He's saying, guys, these guys are ripping you off. They're appealing to your flesh and for a season, sin is pleasurable. But there is a consequence. There is a consequence. There is the other side of that sin being pleasurable for a season and it's not, it's not pleasurable then. And, and so Paul's saying, hey, I, I want you to be aware. I, I don't even really, he then goes on, he goes, I don't actually have to, to teach you on brotherly love because you guys rock in that, man. You guys know how to love. You guys know how to love and minister. Verse nine, concerning brotherly love, guys, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You guys know that. You guys do that. He's just saying, hey, I, I want you to have a walk properly. I want you to have a walk that you can defend in Scripture. And I would encourage you with that. Your walk right now, Christian, as you sit in your seat, as you listen to this message, can you defend your walk in Scripture? Can you defend your walk in Scripture? Can you say, hey, I am doing this because of Scripture saying I can do this? <laughs> and I'll get some people that will come up to me. Hey, is it okay for a Christian to, and then they lay out whatever it is. Is it okay for a Christian to dance? Is it okay for a Christian to go to a bar? Is it okay for a Christian to date a non-Christian? Is it okay for a Christian to, whatever it may be, you know. And when 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 you have those kind of questions, as a pastor, I, you'll, if you've come to me and asked me that, you know that my answer will oftentimes be, listen, why is it that we as Christians ask, how close to the rocks can we get before we crack up? You're in a sea of humanity. You're in the sea of this world. Why are you asking me how close to the rocks can you get before God will allow you to sink? My, my answer would be, get away from the rocks. If you are questioning whether it's wrong for you, it's probably wrong. Get away from it. Stay away. Now, I don't mean to minimize that and I don't mean to trivialize that and I don't mean to come down on anybody when you sincerely have a question about something like that. I'll do my best. But 
a, a new frame of thinking in our head as Christians. And maybe it's not a new one. Hopefully it's, it's something that is standard for you. And that is, hey, I'm not going to ask how close to sin I can get before it actually entraps me. I'm going to find out, God, how far away from sin can I get so that I'm not tempted by it? God, take me away from sin. Help me not to, to travel and, and to buddy up and to nuzzle up next to sin because eventually it's going to, it's going to hit me. It's going to capture me. I have a lure over here in this drawer. I mean, you, you've seen it and you go, what in the world is that thing for here all the time? You guys have seen something like this, right? Doesn't that thing look wicked? Here's the thing. This is what, this is what the enemy does. He likes to bait you in and trick you in to getting up close to something that looks, sounds real, looks real. That's the whole idea behind a, a lure. The idea behind this lure, I'll just grab it. Uh, the, the idea here behind this lure is this. <laughs> the idea here behind this lure is, what does it look like? It's trying to catch another fish, right? And the, the idea here is that they make it look like something that's appealing to fish. And if you've ever been out fishing, you know that sometimes you'll hear a fisherman go, oh, I got a bump. What is that? Here's another bigger fish going, man, that looks tasty. That's looking pretty good. Boom. Wait, it didn't hurt me. Didn't hurt me. This thing keeps stabbing me. Here's the thing. The thing bumps and bumps and bumps. And eventually he goes, hey, I feel safe. I've done this sin so many times and I didn't get hit by a bolt of lightning. And so God must, I think I found the loophole. Had a friend that used to go to this church that was upset with me and said, hey, can you call off a couple of your guys? They keep asking me and they keep coming and talking to me. I said, what are they talking to you about? He says, well, they're, they're on my case saying, hey, you know, you're living with two girls. What are you doing? You know, are, are you, are you, you, you having a, a, a wrong relationship with these guys? Come on, you know better than this. And he goes, you know, here's the thing. Call them off. Get them off of me. Quit, tell them to quit talking to me about that. And I said, well, is it true? He goes, yeah. I said, you're sleeping with two girls? You're living with two girls and you're sleeping with two girls? Hey, it's fine. It's fine because I still can worship the Lord. God God knows where I'm at and God continues to bless me. What he's continuing to do is he keeps bumping into this lure. And he begins to think, I found the loophole. God's okay because if God doesn't immediately hit me with a bolt of lightning, God must be okay with it. Please, Christian, know this. Do not ever mistake God's silence for God's acceptance. Maybe God has just given you an opportunity to turn away from sin before you sink your teeth into one of these very, very, very painful trouble hooks. Because once you get in here and you sink your teeth into this trouble hook, you can't get off. And it hurts. And you are being led no longer by your own free will. You're now being led by whoever is on the other end of this lure. The line. And you're being drug into the boat. But you played with sin. Stay away from sin. The idea is sin destroys. 
You can't find a loophole in the Bible. Don't think that your sin, God is okay with. God is never okay with sin. Stay away from it. It will bite you. It will hurt you. And it will lead you on down a destructive path. Paul's trying to warn them of that. And then he, and then he breaks into, and I, I've got to get into this study. This is, then he breaks into and he goes, guys, I'm going to give you some encouraging news. Even though there are some that are coming in here and these guys are actually twisting you also in the end times. Things about what is in front of us. You know, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, died upon a cross, not for his own sin, but for yours and mine. He was buried and three days later, he rose again from the dead. And then he showed himself to men and then he arose into heaven where he right now ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He paid a penalty for you and I. You and I are sinners. We can't get to heaven based upon our own merit. It's the reason that God chose to become a man to do what we could not do. And when he died on a cross, he cried out for you and he cried out for me. And I believe he was thinking about you and he was thinking about me on the cross. It's the gospel. He rose again. He died and he rose again for you. You believe that? If you believe that, the Bible says you're saved. Not a whole bunch of gyrations you got to go through. Not a lot of clubs that you have to, you know, there's not all these clubs that you have to join. There's not things that you got to do. Do you believe? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Well, yes. Well, then you're saved. That's what the Bible says. Oh, that's too simple. Man, if he made it any more complicated, we would lose it. There's a reason why we are called sheep. Sheep are not the smartest of animals. Not to offend you, but I'm also offending me. We're not always the smartest. Sometimes we just need someone to shepherd us. Sometimes we just need to follow. We need to know. And, and, and so we follow Jesus. He showed us the way. There's the gospel. When someone else comes in and says, oh, yeah, but be careful. When someone comes into the gospel and says, but be careful. But you have to do this. But you have to do that. But you have to read this book in addition to the Bible. But you have to listen to that guy or this gal or you need to ascribe to this or you need to be circumcised or you can't be saved. That was what they were dealing with back in the day. I think we've gotten over that one. But here's the thing. Paul had to deal with all of these things. The church was new. The church was young. And all these things started to creep into the church. And they, they, they didn't have a really, you know, long season of a foundation. They were new. The church was relatively brand new. 
And then you get these guys that come in and they begin to slant things their way in order to bring you under control. And and Paul says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant on certain issues. This is one of the issues that Paul does not want you or I, nor the Thessalonians or the Laodiceans to be ignorant on. Paul says in verse 13, I, I, I don't want you guys to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. And and, and so immediately we we see that uh, Paul comes out with this word. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. He's talking to the church. When he says brethren, he's not talking to unsaved. He's talking to the saved. Because you're brothers. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's talking to the church. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, church. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those or as others who have no hope. And the idea here is that Paul's saying, hey, I, I don't want you to sorrow uh, concerning those who have died. And we look at that, and this is one of those proof texts for, say, Seventh-day Adventists to use to say, well, there's such a thing as soul sleep. When someone dies, then therefore what happens is that their soul goes to sleep, and one day it'll wake back up. And this is a major proof text. This is the the, the theological argument for soul sleep. This is the the the, the main text of soul sleep. The idea is, is that the moment that a believer dies and he's buried, his soul goes to sleep until the day comes that Christ returns and then the dead in Christ will rise. And let me just read it. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede, precede those who are asleep or dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You see that? So the dead who are buried in the ground, they'll rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air or in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. And so there's a few things that we want to address here today, but here's the thing. He's talking about those who go to sleep. The idea here is is that sleep is a picture of what it means as a Christian to die. To die is... Final, right? And to die, not necessarily final, but to die is, is, it's, it's, it has this negative connotation to it. To die means to cease. It, it, it means that there is a, there is a, a, there is a finality to something, to a life, to a thought. That thought is dead to me. It's a dead thought. That's a that's a that's a a dead job. That's a a job that has ceased to exist. Here's one thing that we look at when we look in this passage. What we see is that there is 
a an, an affectionate term for those, again, remember, Paul's talking to the church. There's an affectionate term for those who pass away. We like to use that word too, pass away. I don't like using the word death. He died. Ah, that's so rough. This last week, over a couple of days ago, we just heard that a sister that used to be a part of this fellowship that passed away, Lisa. Lisa, I remember the day she got saved. It was at a cry concert up in Brandon. Actually, it was in Riverview where they had a, a concert up there. We all went up there and she gave her heart to the Lord. I guess she had a brain injury. She fell and had a brain injury and something started happening to her and, and her life fell apart. And at 50 some odd years old, she passed away in a nursing home just this last week. And, and, and so we say passed away. Paul would say she fell asleep. She fell asleep. Jesus would say, fell asleep. You remember it was John chapter 11 where Jesus was talking to the church, uh, to the uh, disciples. And he says, hey, uh, we're over here in Bethany. And, uh, um, and, and somebody comes to him and says, hey, uh, they tell him about Lazarus. And, and, and Jesus, he says to his disciples, says, hey, hey guys, we got to go back to uh, Jerusalem. You know, we got to go back, you know, home over there because uh, Lazarus is asleep and I've got to go over there so that I can wake him. And the disciples go, okay, the last time we were there, you almost were taken by force and killed. And we were almost taken by force and killed. Last time it was so hot, we didn't even know if we'd get out of there with our lives. That's kind of the expanded version <laughs> of what it is that they said. And so they came up with a, with a, a, a an alternative. They came up with a suggestion to Jesus. By the way, don't suggest to Jesus what he should do. Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a direction. And you might not understand his direction, but be sure of this, he has a direction. And his ways and paths are always perfect, despite what you think the next step should be. But here, here's the thing. Jesus says, I go that I go make, may wake him. And the disciples, they go, well, Lord, it was hot there last time. Barely escaped there with our life. If Lazarus is asleep, you see, they're, they're struggling with this whole idea of sleep too. If Lazarus is asleep, um, he'll wake up and everything will be okay. Surprise, Jesus, he'll wake up. Everything will be okay. And Jesus says, hey, I got to go. Lazarus is dead. I was using the term sleep because as a believer, when you die here on earth, Paul said, listen, man, I am hard. I'm betwixt between the two. I'm having a hard time. I love that term, betwixt. Have you ever been betwixt? Adopt that term because it's an awesome term. A betwixt. You're confused. Your your struggle between two different things that you should do. Paul calls it betwixt. I'm betwixt. To stay here and be with you is is advantageous to you, but man, to depart, to die, and be with Christ. Oh, 
Man, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I, I can't wait for that day. But to be here and stay here with you guys is more advantageous, is more beneficial to you than I hang out for a little while. But Paul, he says, I'm betwixt between the two. To die and be with Jesus or to remain here and hang out with you. Paul didn't believe in soul sleep is what I'm getting at. Paul doesn't believe that, hey, here it is. Paul didn't say, oh man, I'm hard, I'm betwixt between the two to, to go to sleep for however long it's going to be. It could be a thousand years. I don't know how long it can be to go to sleep and stay in a grave until Jesus comes back for me. And then I'll be raised up before the, the people who are alive and remain and we'll all be caught up together with the Lord. I can't wait to go to sleep and stay in a grave until that day happens or to stay here and remain with you. That's, that, that's illogical. That's not what Paul was saying. He says to be absent from the body is to be very present with the Lord, the immediate. And so the idea behind soul sleep is not accurate, not according to scripture. Because we use the term sleep doesn't mean that we just go to sleep when we remain in a grave until Jesus comes and gets us. It means that the moment that you and I close our eyes here on this earth, as a believer, we open our eyes into eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I love that. And so it's like when you go to sleep, when you die, these, Paul is using this affectionate term. Jesus used the affectionate term when he goes to sleep. And so to die as a Christian is like sleep. Sometimes we see these tombs or, or these these uh, tombstones with an angel looking down upon the grave and an angel is crying. And 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 we look at that and we go, wow, that's an affectionate tomb. I mean that's 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 an affectionate tombstone to see an angel crying. And when you look at angels, I mean, it, it's usually, uh, it will vastly, majority of the time will always be, a, a, the adult angels are always women, right? I don't know, look at this. I don't know if this ever occurred to you and those of you who have been around for a long time, you go, oh my goodness, here he goes again. Any adult angels are always women, beautiful flowing hair, but all male angels are fat little babies. The male angels are all fat little baby, bald babies. And women are always the adult angels. I, I, I don't know where that came from. But the point is that has nothing to do with the message other than an angel looking down upon a tomb or upon a grave and they're crying. And that isn't necessarily accurate for an angel to be looking down upon a believer who has passed away and weep. The Bible says, blessed in the eyes of the Lord are the death of the saints. It is a blessing for the Lord. It is, it is a joy when you and I pass away and we're with the Lord. I'm sorry, I said blessed. It's precious. 
precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Do you understand that when we go and be with the Lord, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more loss, no more loneliness, no more hurt, no more struggling with the dastardly sin that we have out there that we struggle with our whole life? We don't have that struggle anymore. And the moment that we die, we wake up. The moment that we close our eyes to sleep here on this earth, the last time we open our eyes to glory. Jesus talked to to, to the disciples. He said, listen, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. He's been gone almost 2,000 years. In six days, he created this earth. I've been to some very beautiful places. You've been to some very beautiful places that almost take your breath away when you look at the view. You look at the scene. Maybe it's a waterfall. Maybe it's a mountain. Maybe it's a river. Maybe it's a lake. Whatever it might be, it is so beautiful. And you just go, oh, that's just gorgeous. Maybe it's a sunrise or a sunset. And you go, wow, that is so awesome. That is so beautiful. He did this in six days. He's been gone for 2,000 years. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you will always be. For 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for you. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't true, I would have told you. And that's where I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. He's got a place for you. Can you imagine? I believe the day that Paul was killed, I believe that Paul, the day that Paul was stoned to death, he died. He says, I know a man, he talks about it in Second Corinthians chapter 12, I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body, out of the body, I don't really remember, I don't know. All I know is that he was caught up into paradise. He's recanting, he's recounting the day that he was stoned to death. He was recant, recounting the day that he died. He was caught up into paradise and the things that he saw, it's not even lawful for him to say. He doesn't even want to identify himself as the man because it is so holy. It is so unbelievably awesome. Can you imagine Paul being dead there? He just got stoned. Outside of the city, they drew him outside of the city of Lystra and Derby, and they, they, they stoned him outside of the city because he was preaching Christ. And he dies. And the disciples all around him, they go, oh, Lord, please. We love Paul. We want Paul. Please bring him back to us. Heal his body, please, God. And Paul, for that moment, he saw heaven. And he's going, whoa. This is awesome. This is this is not even lawful for me. If I ever if I have to go back, I never can open my mouth and say what it is that I'm seeing here because this is unbelievable. This is wild. This is wild. And 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 you can you know maybe talk to the Lord at that time, Paul. You see what you see here? Yeah, Lord, this is awesome. Is he thinking about the stones that hit him? Is he thinking about the pain that he just endured? No, man, he's in heaven right now. He's seeing things that he could only imagine. And he sits there and I, I see the Lord going, Paul, I, this is the picture I kind of have in my head. It's not a, a Bible story, but it's, it's the dynamic of that day that I have in my head. 
Paul lying dead on the ground. Lord, this is awesome. Oh, I made it. Yes, you did, Paul. But wait, Lord, I know words on earth mean something different. When anybody says but on earth, that means that it it removes what they just said. Hey, I I love you, brother, but okay, here it comes. <laughs> You're going to come in with something here. Something that you know takes away from what you just said. Jesus, you just said but. Yes, Paul, you've made it, but what do you mean but? Well, oh, your brothers down there, sisters that are with you down there, they're, they're all around your beaten and bloodied body. And, and they're praying to me right now to give you life again and go back there. You can imagine in my head, I see Paul going, don't listen to him. Don't you listen. You know them. Do not listen to them at all. They, they, they're sinners. I, I, I know I'm a sinner, but don't listen to them. Lord, I'm here. I don't want to have to go through this again. Now, Paul, I still have a job for you to do. And Paul gets life back into him. And the disciples all around, we're praying, we're praying. Oh, wait, wait, look at Paul, 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 look, look. His fingers, they're moving. They're moving, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Paul, Paul, Paul. And his hands just start just kind of twingling, moving a little bit. He's, he's trying to communicate with us. He's trying to say something. His life is coming back to us. He's, he's, he's making a fist. What's, what's he trying to say? It's, it's, and then Paul gets enough of his strength to back and he, boom, and he hits him. What are you doing? Praying for me to come back. I was there. I was there. I know a man 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't, I don't know. But I'm telling you, when my eyes closed, I was there. Soul sleep is not accurate. The idea of you and I dying in the Lord is like going to sleep. But note and look how Paul differentiates between what it's like for the believer and what it was like for Jesus. He says here, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And by the way, it breaks my heart to see a non-believing funeral. The hardest thing that I have ever had to do in my young ministerial life was to actually officiate a funeral that I just really don't believe that the woman was saved place was packed I gave opportunity to learn who this woman was I was just called in to do it because I was one of the ministers over at Calvary Fort Lauderdale and so I wanted to know who this woman was she was like the matriarch of this family and everybody loved this woman dearly and then I gave opportunity hey would somebody explain tell me who she is tell us who this woman was so that we can rejoice in her life so we can we can recall how much of an impact she had and then as they started standing up i'm going man i don't know if i should ever allow this ever again in a funeral because some of the stuff that she did was horrible some of the stuff that she did was not necessarily a negative thing to them but she lived a pretty debaucherous life and they were all cracking up at how how it was and i'm thinking Oh, 
I am sitting here witnessing the world enjoying that she lived a horrible, debaucherous life. And here I am officiating over this. And, and, and my message was, listen, if Rose was here with me right now, if she was standing where I am right now, she would want you to hear what I'm about to say. And I gave a gospel message. And as I gave a gospel message, I began to weep. I didn't even know anybody in that room. And I began to weep. I wept not because of Rose and her loss. I wept because I'm thinking, she is not in heaven right now and there is no hope for her ever again. There is no hope. And unless these guys change, there's no hope for them. And it was the very first time, I think, that in all of its impact, that the, that the loss of the unsaved hit me like a ton of bricks. And I cried and wept at that funeral. I mean, to the point where I was, <laughs> you know, that kind of sobbing where you go, oh, you've got to stop because you are making a fool out of yourself. The blubbering snot, you know, kind of thing, you know. I, I, I had to excuse myself and blow my nose. It was a horrible thing. But it was, it was tough to sit there and look at. But Because there's no hope for the unbeliever. When they die, death is final. They're, they're going to have a separation from God for all eternity. You've heard me say it before. For the unbeliever, there are two deaths. There's one life and two deaths. They live here on the earth. They die here on the earth. But then they die for eternity, separated from the Lord in hell, a conscious hell, not one that they cease to exist, but they will consciously understand that torment for the rest of eternity. Gang, that's what we have on our plate right now when we're dealing with the unbeliever. But for the believer, you die once and live twice. You see, you live here on the earth and then you die here on the earth, but then you live again for all eternity. The idea is so contrasting, so different than the, than the future of an unbeliever. But we don't have a sorrow as believers. We, we, we don't have a sorrow. We don't have a, we don't have a need to be so, uh, uh, broken. First Corinthians chapter 15 says this. When this, as a believer, when this corruptible, because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't going to inherit the kingdom of God. When this in, or when this corruptible, has put on incorruption. When, when I become, when I die, when I go to sleep, die, I put on incorruption. And when this mortal puts on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I die, when you die, it's like sleep. And we, we are alive with the Lord. Paul goes on, he says, I don't want you to have sorrow because they have sorrow who are unbelievers and they should have sorrow because they're lost for eternity. There's no getting out. They have one, one life to live 
and where they're going to live from that point on in eternity is up to them, whether they choose life or whether they choose death. For if we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died... Now look at what he says about Jesus. He doesn't say, for if we believe that Jesus slept and rose again, he doesn't use that term. Why? Because there was an aggressive purpose for why Jesus had to die. There had to be a finality to what Jesus did on the cross. He brought an end to sin's authority or sin's grip on us. There was a death there. There was a finality to his death and his resurrection. Jesus died and he arose. And I, I, I don't want to, to mistake or us to miss that. When we die, we get the benefits of what his death was. When we die, it's like us going to sleep. When he died, he put an end to the rule of an eternity separated from God for us. Make no bones about that. He died and he rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who are dead in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So Paul goes, hey, here it is. I'm not now speaking to you based on my authority. I'm now speaking to you based upon the authority of the Lord. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. He's saying it's not my word, it's God's word, okay? That we who are alive right now and remain, Paul is including himself, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who are dead. He's saying, so here's the thing. These Epicureans have come in and said, oh man, your brothers and sisters who have died that were Christians, no hope for them. They're going to miss it. They're gone. They're history. There's no more hope for them. And Paul goes, that's so untrue. That's not true. Death isn't the finality to us. In fact, it's like going to sleep. You close your eyes and it's like, it's better than a dream. It's greater than a dream. And you end up having an eternity with the Lord. Paul says, no, don't let them rip you off. Death is not the end. He says, this we say by the word of the Lord, that those that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will by no means precede those who are dead. For And I'm going to give you the reason. For the Lord himself is, is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So here's what Paul's saying. He's going, here's the thing. Guys, they're not going to, they're not, they, they didn't miss out on heaven. There's coming a day where the Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ will rise first. He says, uh, and, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. There are some confusing dynamics of this. What happens? There's a lot of different ways of thinking on this. There are some that will teach that Basically, as a believer, when you die, you basically become a disembodied spirit and you are with the Lord, but you're just kind of floating around in a, in a, in a non-heavenly body. You're kind of naked in heaven. Maybe you're that naked little baby boy, maybe fat little bald boy, you know, cruising around. But no, that's not true because that, we're not angels. By the way, we're not angels. Please understand that. 
We didn't exist as angels and then be birthed as a human only to die and become an angel again. That is a false teaching. There is a purpose and a role of an angel and they are completely a different species than we are. An angel is an angel. A human is a human. And so here's the thing. When we die, we go to be with the Lord, right? Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Some will say, well, you become a disembodied spirit. And then when this happens, then your bones, they all kind of come from wherever it is. And they assemble and they go up into heaven and your bones and everything all come back together and you become, you know, your incorruptible self. But the Bible says that flesh and bone doesn't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so my flesh isn't going to go there. I don't know what happens to my flesh. I don't even know what happens to my bones. I don't know what happens to all of this. I don't know if it goes and then disappears. I don't know. There are those that say, well, you should never be cremated because you'll never be a part of this if you're cremated because God will not be able to find you. (laughs) And I think poor Quinn in Jaws, he'll never get to heaven because he was eaten by a shark and he became shark poop. And he just kind of got dispersed amongst the ocean and God is not going to be able to find him. Here's the thing. Flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. And so, personally, I believe that when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. I believe what Paul says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The dead in Christ will rise first. They have. They're there. The dead in Christ have risen. They're there. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the Lord, in, in, in with the Lord I'm sorry. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so this is the idea that others will look at this passage and I got to hurry here, but this passage and they'll go, okay, so this is the, this is the thing where Christians say that there's a rapture of the church. It doesn't say rapture there. There's no such thing as rapture. Find it in the Bible. Rapture isn't in the Bible. And and my answer would be, well, which Bible are you reading? Well, the one you have. Read it. It doesn't have rapture in there. Yeah, I, I know this one doesn't, but the Latin Vulgate does. The Latin Vulgate uses the word for caught up. We shall be caught up together with the Lord. The word caught up in the Latin Vulgate is rapturos, where we get our word rapture from. We just happen to use the word caught up here. If you want to go by Greek, that's harpazo. So I don't care what you call it. Just know there's coming a day that the Lord is going to descend from heaven with a voice, uh, with a, with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God. Those who are dead will rise up together with the Lord. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. And those, there shall we be with the Lord forever and ever. And Paul says, comfort one another. So these should be comforting words to us. These should be comforting words to you. There's coming a day that Jesus is going to come and catch us up. The word harpazo literally means to seize by force. To seize by force. To seize by force. It it literally, harpazo means an open act 
of violence in contrast to the cunning and secret thieving. In other words, Jesus isn't going to come secretly and take you out without anybody knowing. No. He's making it very evident right here. The Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout. You think people are going to be able to hear it? I think so. With the voice of an archangel. My goodness, what is that going to sound like? And with the trumpet of God. I can't imagine what the trumpet of God is going to sound like. But it's going to happen. And I believe everyone's going to hear it. But in a twinkling of an eye, those who are believers will be gone. And the world will be left to understand and try to explain away, and they will, by the way, why we are gone as believers. This is what is being... So so what Jesus is doing, he's... He's coming down and he's looking at you. He's looking at me. And there is coming a day that he is going to violently snatch you out of this earth. It's time for you to go. You know, I had a dream one time. I grew up in Mentone, California. And we had a flat roof on the very back half of our house. On the very back portion of our house, we had a room back there. We called it the back room. It was kind of a, a kind of a flat roof and kind of a little slanted. We'd always, as little kids, we'd get up on the roof and we'd jump off onto the ground. You know, I, I'm sure there was a lot of twisted ankles and broken bones from that. But we'd jump off and we'd roll in the ground. Today, if I did that, I'd probably sink. You know, and break every bone in my body. But I had this dream back when Nathan was a little boy. I mean, I, I mean, like just able to walk and and not listen to you. That age, you know? Two. Two. And for some reason, I had him up on the roof with me. And I'm sitting there, I got distracted, and I see him running off the edge. And he's running, and I take off running as fast as I can. And I reach him right at the last second as he's going over, and I get my hand under him under his chest and I take him and violently throw him back up on the roof but I know it's going to hurt when I land and there was a wrought iron fence right over next to our house and I landed on the wrought iron fence and then I woke up <laughs> and, and, and I, I, it, I, I woke up with sweats that's the kind of thing that being caught up would be Violently, Did I care about if he was going to get hurt being thrown back up on the roof? No. It's going to be a whole lot better up there than him hitting the wrought iron down there or falling, you know, 12 feet down onto his head or neck or whatever and, and, and killing himself down there. But to throw him back up on the roof was to save his life. That's that violently, violently taking action. God is going to violently take you out of here one of these days. If you and I remain until the Lord comes back, that is going to be a blow-our-mind event. Think about it. A shout. What's that going to sound like? Voice of an archangel. Oh, I don't know what's that going to sound like. I don't think it's going to be, oh, I think it's going to be, hey, (laughs) you know. Trumpet of God. No, I don't think so. 
I think it's going to be loud. I think it's going to rock our ears. I think it's going to be... I think there's going to be some people that are going to have to go change their underwear after that day. (laughs) Revelation chapter 4 says, after these things, after what? Chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation talk about the church. Talks about the church age. Talks about seven churches. Talks about seven church periods of time. It talks about how the Holy Spirit is within the church. There's coming a day that the church is going to be taken out. The church is going to be caught away. Chapter 4 begins with this, after these things. Those words, after these things. That in the Greek is metatauta. After these things. I looked, Paul or John says. After what things? After the church. After the church age. Chapters 2 and 3 talk specifically, completely and totally, talks about nothing else but the church. After these things, after what? After the church age. After the church has played, has run its course. You and I are living in the church age right now. After the church age, after these things, I look, John says, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. When you see a door standing open in heaven, what's what's a door standing open in heaven signifying? It's about to receive someone, right? Or it's about to have somebody come out or it's about to have somebody go in. But look at what it says. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. And it says, come up here. Come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after these things. Metatauta, after these things. After the church age, come up. What's going to be said? I don't know. I don't know if the word is going to be enough. Come up here. I don't know what the word's going to be. I just know we're going to recognize it if we are believers. And nobody's going to precede us. No one is going to precede us. This, this uh, uh, you know, idea of us dying here on the earth. Do you know that, uh, just one, one last little quick thing. The idea of cemetery actually came from the Christian church. You know that? The word cemetery. It actually kind of goes all the way back into the catacombs. Christians began to consider it to be a cemetery. Cemetery literally means a resting place. A resting place. When you and I die, we go to a resting place. You know, there's there's another term that we use for cemetery and 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 we get the term dormitory from cemetery. I don't know if you know that. Isn't that crazy? You ever been to a dormitory? You might understand that. But whether you die or whether you're awake, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and take us home. I believe that that day can happen at any moment. Paul was teaching it can happen any moment. They call that the imminent return of Christ. Which means if you don't really understand the term imminent, you can define it very quickly. It's a very simplistic way of defining this term. And it is imminent, literally means in a minute. Or any minute. Any minute, Jesus can come back and take us home. Any minute we can hear. I can't wait for that day. But I want to be found faithful and you want to be found faithful 
when that voice and that trumpet and that door stands open, and that voice of the archangel, you want to be ready. I want to be faithful. Back when I was growing up, I wasn't always walking with the Lord. And I had some some ugly days of my Christian life where I was really hoping that that trumpet wouldn't go off. Because I would be ashamed at what I was doing at that time when the trumpet sounded. Then I grew up and I started walking with the Lord. I won't say that I... I'm perfect, you're not perfect, we're not perfect. I never attained this level of imperfection, no. Or uh, of perfection. I'm very imperfect. I, I do do that pretty well. Imperfect. I do it really well. But I don't ever want to stay there. I never want to stay in a place of sin. When I sin, I want to get through it. I want to get beyond it. I want to go back and I want to get right with the Lord. I want to stay right with the Lord. Because I want to be found faithful. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want I want to be found faithful in his eyes. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.